This is the EWN Podcast Network. Are you ready to live your life by your rules? Need some inspiration? Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success, the podcast that brings you interviews with people who have had their life path challenged and have redefined what success and a first-class life really means to them with tales of roads taken, detours explored, turning points, and transformation. Here is your host, First Class Life mentor, Kate Fessler. Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and my guest today is Dr. Carol Soloway. Carol is a chiropractor and qualified medical evaluator. She's the author of the Amazon bestselling novel, Sex Happens. Sex Happens. And has a new novel called Gracie's Gone. After each decade of her life, Carol has changed careers, and writing is the synthesis of all of the knowledge and skills she's accumulated along the path. Carol's first career was as an English teacher, during which time she completed a master's degree in English. Ten years later, Carol went back to school and became a chiropractor and established a rewarding practice, which her son, also a chiropractor, now runs. Another decade passed and another career beckoned. Carol became a qualified medical evaluator and has been enjoying the challenges of that career for, of course, ten years. Since writing has always been her passion, Carol returned to school and took numerous creative writing courses, including Squaw Valley Community of Writers Summer Program. Now she's enjoying the pinnacle of all of her careers as the author of Gracie's Gone. Carol lives with her wonderful husband, who is nothing like any of the characters in her books. Together, they have five grown sons with families of their own, all of whom have promised not to read the sex scenes. Welcome, Carol. Hello. You are a serial career reinventor, but let's go back to the very beginning. What did you want to be when you grew up? A ballerina like every girl. Oh, uh uh-huh. I guess that wasn't something that uh, was in the cards for you. (laughs) It didn't, but I did go to, I even went to New York City and took classes with Balanche, I believe, a, a fabulous teacher, but I, I couldn't make the cut. Oh, well, but that's, you took it pretty far. I mean, that's impressive. Most of us, we want to be ballerinas, but we don't do anything about it. <laughs> so you became an English teacher. What drew you to that career? I love, love reading. Reading is my, my passion, my hobby. And I decided that I wanted to share that, that love with other children, with children. Actually, I was almost a child because I was teaching by 20. Oh. So you were teaching and studying at the same time? Well, I was going for a master's while I was teaching, yes. Mm-hmm. So being a chiropractor is very different than being a teacher. You think? What, um, what spurred that change for you? I decided that I wanted to do something different because I had done that for 10 years. And I started taking classes and went back to school and decided that that was the next career. 
So what, is there any significance to the 10 years? I know that uh, people say that most change takes seven years. So what is it like, just do you put it on your calendar up oh, 10 years time to do something new? <laughs> I think it just happens organically. Uh, I just, you just kind of reinvent yourself. Well, it actually you said seven years, but maybe it is seven years and then the other three are in preparation for moving to the next career. Because to change careers, you really have to prepare. Especially if you're going back to school to, you know, being a chiropractor is not something you can just wake up one day and decide you're just going to open up shop, right? How hard oh is God. that to, um, like, what is that like? It's not quite medical school of all of what is that that's 10 years in and of itself I think but um how much how much schooling did you need to become a chiropractor well that's probably where where we're going at the 10-year mark because I had to go back to school to do all of my prerequisite science prerequisite sciences sciences because I didn't have any I was an English teacher Mm. so that took a couple of years And then going to chiropractic school, that is a three and a half year program. For people who don't know, can you explain what is a chiropractor? Like, what does a chiropractor do? I think most people think cracking backs, but I think it's it's more than that, right? Oh, yes, definitely more than that. A chiropractor takes care of what's called the musculoskeletal system, which is your muscles in your body and your spine, not just, not just the spine. We do extremities also, which is shoulders, elbows, hips. And it's really learning to do an analysis. And what I like to say is most importantly, learning when not to adjust. In other words, when the person has a problem that needs an, another specialist also, that's very important. Mm. So it's different, though, than like a massage therapist. Massage is more um, muscle related, I guess. But you're actually working with people's skeletal um, structure, right? Yes. um, There is a component in chiropractic where you do some muscle work, but you're also doing a manipulation, which is moving the bones and that is something that takes a lot of skill, especially with the neck and years and years of, of practice and to perfect your, your talent. I'm not saying massage does. I mean, massage therapists do take years and years to become really accomplished and know the body. But I'm saying that, that as a chiropractor, you have to know not only the muscles, but you have to know all the bones, all the articulations. You also have to know what's called differential diagnosis, which is what other organ problems the patient could be presenting with. Oh, interesting. Okay. So what is a qualified medical examiner or evaluator? After going to chiropractic school, I opened my practice and it was going beautifully. Um, but I, I just got the, had this love for not only working with the patients, but also the medical legal um, intricacies. And so I started to study, of course, more studying. I started to study how to rate the patient, how to do a, a it's called a disability examination. Mm-hmm. And I got really proficient because it, 
it sort of married my love of writing, which I didn't know I was going to write novels. And I started to become very well known as far as a qualified medical examiner, examining patients and writing these very detailed reports. So I am saying that I'm disabled and I come to you so that the government can know whether or not I should receive benefits. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Well, you can't come to me. Nobody can come to me. They have to be sent by a state panel. In other words, the attorney decides he wants the patient rated. They, he then applies. There's a state panel, and there are three names. It's totally random. There are three names, and he picks, or he strikes, rather, one name. And then the insurance company strikes another name. And if I'm still standing, I get to see the patient. <laughs> Whoever's left. <laughs> Who's ever left. And that is the way my practice works. Interesting. Okay. So so you said that, you know, you're, you enjoyed the writing piece of that, that it sort of brought together your medical interest and your writing interest. And now you're a best-selling author. So when did you get the idea, hey, you know what? I have this master's degree in English and I love to read. Maybe I should write a novel or write a book. Doesn't everybody? Um, seriously, every English teacher thinks I can write a novel. I, actually, do you know that 80% of people want to write a book? Oh, I believe I mean, that. 80%. I think and it's higher than that. I think it probably it's probably is. close to 90. <laughs> it probably is. But the weird thing is, most people, the average number of books you read a year is one. Oh. Yeah. People read one book a year. I've had somebody tell me that this was the first book he's read since my book, my first one. Probably because of the title, but the first book he's read since high school. Really? I mean, people do not read. So I'm with you. Like, I love books. I have way too many books. I have books that I have never read, but I buy them because I have a good intention to read them. But I certainly read way more than one book a year. Um, so I, I, I don't read a even... Book a week. Yeah, well, I'm not quite that prolific just because I have so many other things to do, but I always have a book going. And it's usually two, sometimes two, because there's, you know, the business books or whatever, and then there's the novel that kind of take the little escapist reading. Um, so yeah, that's, that's surprising. But so why did you choose a novel? Like what inspired you? So we'll, we'll talk about the title in a minute, but <laughs> what inspired you to, to um, just sit down and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write a novel. I, I had a secret, a secret that I kept for 20 years, which was that I didn't have custody of my children. Mm-hmm. And that secret plagued me and and it, I, I didn't enjoy things I you know my successes were just rolling off me like Teflon and and whatever failure I had I was would fixate on and then I had melanoma twice and I decided you know what I wasted 20 years with this there have got to be other people out there 
who have wasted, wasted their lives because of something someone told them, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough. And I decided I'm going to come out with this story. So I wrote a story. It's not my story because my story, you know, for 20 years I was a workaholic and was miserable. It's a story about a woman who has this horrible thing happen to her. Well, you've read it. Oh, and, and she goes and fights for those children, which I did not have the wherewithal to do at that time. I was, I was in a state. And she fights for those children. And I went, I sat in the courthouse for days watching the proceedings, spoke to attorneys, spoke to judges. And I decided that I can do something to make women, and I use the word women because I don't think too many men are going to read uh, a novel about a woman, it, to make women see that no matter what happens to you, if you have the belief in yourself, you can accomplish anything. And that was my goal. And that was how I... You know, I really wrote it on a lark, and I didn't think it was going to be a bestseller. I didn't think it was going to be, you know, all these people reading it. It's really exciting. Yeah. Well, it is a, um, I think a lot of people, so sex happens, right? This is a very uh, compelling book cover. So I would imagine, I I bet men do read it because they're like, oh, yeah, that, that looks right. <laughs> Sex. And there are good sex scenes. I mean, you know, I what do I say? I can write a better sex scene than Fifty Shades because I know where to put the commas. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you say uh, in your bio that your children have promised not to read the sex scenes. Do you think that's really true? <laughs> I know it is. The, the daughter-in-laws have read it, but my sons have not even read it. <laughs> Well, it's a very compelling story, and and you can see all of that um, uh, sort of like not feeling good enough, not sure what to do, feeling like like she has no power, and then really kind of figuring it out in the end. And it is a it is an empowering story. Um, so, why a novel and not a uh, more of a nonfiction book. I mean, you did a lot of research on this and there is a lot of, um, uh, a lot of nonfiction sort of intent behind it. Because I have a really, really good love of fantasy and, and, and um, the, char- the characters started talking to me in the shower, in the car, and I really got into the story and, it, it was almost organic, I have to say, that hmm. it just started writing. So yeah. I do, I, I believe that there, yes, I wanted there to be messages. Like one of the, one of the touching lines is sometimes when we lose the ones we love, we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so I did want to certainly put in and have themes that were important. But I felt that a novel is, well, stories are how we relate. Mm -hmm. Stories are how we learn, how we remember. 
So I, and I love telling stories. I mean, you can't imagine the stories I've told my children. Uh, so, you know, being a storyteller, that's, that's why. Mm. Well, it is a good story. And now you have a new novel, which comes out this week, I believe, called yeah. Gracie's Gone. What's that about? Well, I'd like to say it's better than sex happens. Gracie's Gone is a novel about secrets, um, dark family secrets that are exposed when six-year-old Gracie is abducted Mm. in a mall. And it, it shows you what what it's like for, what do I say? You will never look at your children the same after reading this book because it takes you into the family, into the home when the child is abducted. And you, you feel, I hope, what, what the loss could be for a family. Hmm. And, and how I, I didn't want to go with, you know, it is about a child who, who is abducted, but, and, and the funds are, 25% do go to Child Rescue, which is an organization that I'm absolutely passionate about. And they do go in and, and save trafficked children. So I definitely have that as my, my motive. But it had that as my motive. But I felt that a story is from caveman times. The story is, did you know in caveman times, they even had a divorce scene where it was the husband taking things and the wife taking other things. I mean, it was amazing. But their stories are who we are. And that's why I wanted to write a story to get the message across. Hmm. So child abduction and human trafficking are horrific. And it seems unimaginable that that goes on in this day and age anywhere, but especially in this country. How did you come to be familiar with or be inspired to write about this particularly kind of ugly subject? What I'm hoping is that by exposing it, exposing or, or talking about it, we will get more people involved. How I became involved was that my son is on the board of Child Rescue. Mm-hmm. And he was talking to me about raising funds and when I wrote Sex Happens, I, got, I suddenly got invited to keynote at cer- for certain charities. And I was keynoting at Save a Child, and they raised $3,500. And then I keynoted for um, Working Wardrobes, and we raised 1000 So I said, well, I'll just write a story. And I wrote Gracie's Gone in three weeks. Wow. I know. It was amazing. But I proofed it in over four months. So it just came to me. And it's a sequel from the other one, Little Gracie, the flower girl in the first one. Oh, okay. Okay. And Alex is the stepmom. Mm-hmm. So I, and I was able to also talk about blending a family and, and, you know, how difficult that is, let alone when tragedy strikes. Mm. So it, it took, it takes you in, and, and it's mostly, you know, this Gracie um, who is, who's abducted, 
her mother died three years ago or two years before. And so you're seeing her father who is left with the, the whole, you know, as parents, our role is to protect our children. When you're left with, uh, left by a spouse who's died, that becomes even more um, important, more of a, a who you are. And that was what I wanted to do, to show what it means to protect, to have to feel you have to protect your child. Hmm. So what kind of research did you do for this one? Oh, tons. As a matter of fact, just last night, I spoke, I was speaking to a police officer from Huntington Beach who told me about a, a bust that they did that took three months. And did you know the day where the girls do have to do the most, their bust in is Super Bowl Sunday. Seriously? Seriously. In my book, in my book, it says here, the, one of the last chapters is, um, is Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott was quoted in USA Today. Super Bowl Sunday is commonly known as the single largest human trafficking incident in the United States. Wow. And I, they do a bust and one of the, a little girl is, is found there, but that's, that is the largest, most heavily trafficked day. Hmm. That is a surprising and very disturbing statistic. I know it is, but we're here to, to surprise and disturb. Yeah, to shed some light. I know that's one right. of the ideas, you know, behind the book. And um, I understand you'll be doing a very special uh, book tour for Gracie's Gone. Um, yes. Tell me about that. We're going across the country. It will be out next week. And you can pre-order now. And we're going across the country in an RV, our RV, which we own. And we did the tour two years ago for Sex Happens. And we're going across the country. I'm speaking all over at, I think I have almost 20 speaking engagements. I know, including even AT&T Women and, and E-Women chapters and some radio TV and I'm going to promote the book like Colonel Sanders did his chicken. <laughs> That's my model. So is, do you have like your name plastered across the RV, like in your face and the book cover? Like will people know you're coming or is it sort of like, oh, we're traveling in an RV kind of incognito, but I'll let you know where I'll be. <laughs> We have all of the spots. I have all the speaking engagements already lined up with the venues, et cetera. But no, we tried to get a, you know, signs to plaster on the RV. And then we realized it's fiberglass. It will not, a magnetized, um, what a magnetized plaque will not stick. Oh. I know. And my husband is not a fan of wrapping the whole RV. He doesn't want to do that to his baby. <laughs> so your husband's going with you. My husband is driving all the way across. This is his dream to go across the country. Well, that's an excellent way for you to make that happen for him. Yep. I, well, the, when I told him, I think I'll write another book, I came downstairs the next morning and there were 
all these typewritten signs, by this date we'll have the first draft, by this date we'll have the revision. He did those for you? Oh, he, he has, he was a journalism major from uh, University of Missouri, which is, and he proofed the second book five times. Oh. And cried each time. Oh, well, that's awesome. That's great. He identified with the father. And that's why I think Gracie's Gone will have more male readers because there's the father is, this is a father's daughter. The mother has died. Mm. And that's why this is an important story for men also. So what, uh, what states are you going to? Where are you going to be? We're going from California to Tucson to San Antonio, and then we're going to be in, speaking a lot in Florida. I have Orlando, Tampa, West Palm, Aventura, and then we're going up north, D.C., and Fox, Charleston, because I was on there two years ago, and the uh, anchor, we talked about her actually driving the RV. Oh. So we'll see if that, they want to do the show in the RV. We'll see about that. <laughs> Better make sure you clean it up. Oh, it's always clean. I clean, he drives. I do not doubt that for a moment. You seem like someone who does keep your house always clean. So we're at that point in the program where I have to ask you, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to people? I try to think of the one book. And what I have to tell you is what kept coming to my mind is when I was 13, my father had this carton of books and he went through the carton to take out this jewelry box, a little oval jewelry box. And he said that this was from his sister who had died and he wanted me to have the jewelry in the box. Well, I said, what about those books in that box? My father went to eighth grade, period. My mother did finish high school. He said, oh, those, those books, we're throwing them out. I'm, go, I'm throwing the, this. No, I wanted you to see this jewelry box. Well, I started reading. And I would say the first, first main novel I read was, um, was Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. Mm. And I just, and suddenly the world opened up to me and I started reading and I went through the whole box. I mean, there was the good earth. There was grapes of wrath. It was, it was amazing to this day, to this day, I keep that jewelry box on my dresser, not because of what was in it, but because of the world of books that it opened up to me. Mm. And so I would have to say that it's books are just so much a part of my life. And matter of fact, I even have a shelf of oh, shelves of books that are alphabetized by author in my family room. Yeah. <laughs> so when we had it painted, I asked my husband, I said, well, we have to put it back in, in order. He said, are you kidding? Said, yep. <laughs> so that's really my my love. And I would say The Fountainhead, because I saw 
and still to this day can, can see the main character, Rourke, with his red hair. And the people came alive. And that's what I hope to create someday. And I didn't know someday would be now. Mm. So when you were um, getting your English master's degree, um, was it in the back of your mind that someday you might like to write? Or was that sort of a later thing that you thought about? I never, ever, ever really believed that I would finish a book. I mean, it's, it's like, it, it, you said 90%, I'm saying 80. People dream of it. And yes, there's a plethora of books on, you know, Amazon. I don't even know how many thousands. But to have written a book and, you know, when I go someplace and people say, oh, my gosh, I read your book. It's like, whoa. And it was, it was just a dream. And when I, when I published it, I made my husband promise we could move to a little town where no one knows me if people laugh at the book and he's, he swore to me he would do it. We've been in this house 15 years, but he agreed to move. And, you know, I didn't think it was going to be, I never dreamed of this. I dreamed of, I, I never, no, it's beyond my dream. What has happened with it? And I'm so excited. Hmm. So with sex happens, do people think that's your story? People, well, I do a lot of, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm always available to do this because it's so much fun. I do do a lot of book, book clubs. I go to book clubs and speak and hear the, the questions. And the question is always, did you lose custody of your children? Now I can say yes. Mm. But for years, there was no way I would have, I mean, I, I even told people about the family dinner that I made, which... I never did, but you know, it, now I can say it and I can own it. And, and I mean, just a couple of months ago, I was at a book club. The women have been together 25 years. And one lady at that meeting said, well, you know, I didn't have custody of my children. No one knew it was a secret that she kept. And it's a secret that we're so ashamed being a mother and not, you know, not having the, the sole custody or the, you know, yes, shared, but, but having your children live with you. Why do you think why that is? Why did you keep it a secret? Why were you ashamed of it? It, it defied the whole definition of motherhood. I mean, how could you, how could you allow this to happen? And, you know, I didn't, I didn't even have the wherewithal to get an attorney, but I made it up in the book because I had her have an attorney, but I had no money. We had just moved to California. I didn't know anybody. There was nobody to talk to about this. So in your quiet, it becomes magnified. Do you, do you know what, what I'm saying? In other words, as you sit and, and think about this, you know, they're, they're probably off at Disneyland now, right now as we speak, not now, because now they should be working, hopefully, at their jobs. But I mean, you just have this, this angst over not doing what you're supposed to be doing, not 
not go I didn't go to their open houses, their their parent teacher conferences. I wasn't told about that. You know, so so when you're when you don't do something, it becomes even more important. Mm. Right? But now I have a great relationship with all three boys. And one well, even came That's good to know. I'm glad you were able to. So did you not have uh, did you not have contact with them for a while? Oh, no, 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 no. I had contact. I, I had them every other weekend. No, I definitely oh, had okay. contact with them. But I wasn't in the role of the parent who goes to school with them, the parent who, you know, the room mother or PTA, whatever. I didn't have that. And I, I felt guilty is the only word I could use. Guilty. How could I have done this? Mm-hmm. And then when I finally had money to maybe, you know, maybe find an attorney, they were already into their lives and their friends and their school, and it was too late. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, that was the story then. But I've established a fabulous adult relationship that I'm really proud of with all of them. Well, good. And you know, I am of the firm belief that everything that happens in our lives, we can turn into something positive. And you clearly did. You took your, you know, a little bit of your story and you turned it into a best-selling novel. It took a long time, though, to be able to do that. But yes, yes, I'm really pleased. And I'm hoping with Gracie's gone that I can do something. Well, that's going to be your next question. Like what, what is my goal in life or what, what do I want to do? And what's, and with Gracie's gone, I'm hoping to be able to use what I love to do good in the world. Hmm. That's that's, my definition of success. Okay. So I was going to say, that's almost my question. My question is uh, how do you personally define success and what does your authentic first class life look like? To me, success is really using your skills, using your know-how and making a difference. Whether it's, you know, it's $1,800 for them to go in and rescue one child and rehabilitate that one child. Whether that's, whether it's only one child. I I mean, I'm going across, I'm hoping we're going to get, you know, more funds to be able to fun child rescue as best as we can. But my goal is to walk gently through life, but leave deep footprints. Mm, very poetic. Well, what do you think? I'm a, I think I'm a writer. <laughs> I'm so trying. Tell me a little bit more about child rescue because you sent me something that had some very uh, disturbing statistics about how many children are abducted every year. And you could fill a classroom or more with all the children who, who are abducted every year. I, I'm, I'm not sure people are aware of the um, magnitude of this issue. And and it's I do want to say it's not only children. Uh, a police officer just last night who I interviewed for an hour because I'm still interviewing because I want to know as much as I can. Um, it, well, first of all, about the children, 
I think the, the organization is a race and their statistic is that every school day, two classrooms of children do not return home. In other every words, day. Two, every school day. Wow. That means, now that means that, you know, other, that parents are taking the children and leaving the country with them. That's also included. So it's not only children who are trafficked, but uh, someone was just telling me about rings in Orange County, Orange County, where the the women, young women, I mean, I'm talking, they, oh, he told me, they get more money the younger the girls are. Oh. And trafficking is the number one, the number one, vice now. It is no longer drugs because drugs are only used once. Trafficking can be used over and over again. So they, uh, women come over, let's say from China, there are rings all over. They come over, they're told, you know, here's money. And, and once they come over, the money is taken from them. And so is their visa. They become slaves. And this is going on right there are houses. He told me five minutes away from my house that there I can go down up and down the motels on the street and find one group of of women, girls really, I don't want to say women, one group after another who are there housed to be trafficked. And the way they don't get, get caught is they keep moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had something like that um, happen in Bellevue, which is a very upscale suburb of Seattle. Um, and they were in a luxury apartment building. Right. And, yeah. You know, I guess the neighbors figured out that it can't be Airbnb coming in three times a day. You know what I mean? um, and, but that's the only way they got caught is the, the people who lived there complained. They said there was all this traffic, you know, people coming in at weird hours going to this these apartments, and uh, uh, I don't think they they knew at the time that that's what was going on, but uh, that's what it turned out to be. So yes, and they talked exactly about that, how they take their passports, and they can't leave, and they have no money, and they're really just trapped. Absolutely. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, there's a line in the book about trafficking in Colombia. And the little boy, the little um, seven-year-old boy says, no, there's no traffic in, there's no traffic in, Col- in Colombia where the, where the au pair is. Just, it, you know, it's so foreign to us that, that this goes on, but it does. Mm-hmm. Right down the street. Well, down the street from you, too. Yeah, a little closer than uh, it should be. Well, it shouldn't be happening at all. No, definitely not. So if people want to find out more about you and your books, both Sex Happens and Gracie's Gone, uh, maybe find out if you'll be in their town on your book tour. How can they do that? By by emailing me, drdrcarolsoloway at gmail. And or going on Amazon and purchasing the book or pre-ordering it, that would be great too. But I'd love to do book club speeches, even if it's Skype, I can I've done that and that's been lots of fun. So that's the way they could get in touch with me. That would be 
you know, certainly a great way. And, and I do believe my email is on the book too. Awesome. Well, Dr. Carol Soloway, best-selling author of the book Sex Happens, your new novel is called Gracie's Gone. I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. That was fabulous. First Class Life, Redefining Success with your host, Kate Fessler. We'll be right back. to the show first class life redefining success with your host kate fessler as with almost all of my guests so much to take away from carol's journey first i think is don't keep secrets shame will keep you from living the life you want and in this era of hashtag me too and the light being shown into the shadows in other areas once considered taboo you are likely not alone and having compassion for yourself first will go a long way toward liberating you the second thing is how she kept reinventing herself, following her passions, learning new things, and letting them lead her in new directions. She sounded awfully happy, didn't she? A great role model for following a different path if you feel called to do so. I hope you'll join me next week when my guest will be Kim Peterson, another shining example of reinvention. Kim started her image consultancy while homeless 18 years ago. Today, high achievers, emerging leaders, and leaders across various industries work with Kim when they want to increase their confidence, credibility, and success with greater ease. Until then, cheers to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to First Class Life, Redefining Success. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of First Class Life, Redefining Success with Kate Fessler. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit FirstClassLifeSolutions.com, on Twitter at Kate Fessler, and on Facebook at First Class Life Solutions. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.